Was the Apostle Paul ever married? You know, it's one of the important questions our teacher, Dr. J. Vernon McGee, addresses today as we come to our study in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and we're on a five-year journey through the entire Word of God. And as we're learning in our journey through 1 Corinthians, in the ancient city of Corinth, sex was a religion. Women were virtual slaves in a male-dominated society, and marriage was for convenience and certainly not love. So is it any wonder that new believers in Corinth needed help understanding God's viewpoint on sex and marriage? Well, Dr. McGee felt that we need help understanding it, too. So here's a quick introduction that he recorded for our message today. Let's listen to it now. We've come now to a very controversial chapter in the Bible, and it's on the question of marriage and sex. And we are going to deal with it in a rather straightforward manner. Maybe you'd like to call up somebody and have them listen at this time. For this is a very important chapter, by the way. And it reveals the fact that actually marriage is a total commitment by a man and a woman, a total commitment one to the other. And that is the big problem today. When you find a couple living together today and saying they are living in an idyllic state of love, why, you can just put it down that they're not. And it always works out that he tires of her or she tires of him, and they wander over into somebody else's bed. And when that happens, uh, she becomes a harlot, and he becomes something just about as bad. But nevertheless, we're living in a day when the morality of the Bible has been rejected. But in God's Word, this chapter is very important. It does reveal the fact that marriage is a total commitment on the part of both a man and a woman, that they're going to live together. They're going to find their satisfaction and joy and their completeness in the other. And a marriage, when it is made on that kind of basis, is the greatest state that there is in this world. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll touch hearts and lives today through the great responsibility that we have of getting the Word of God to the world. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. That was a great prayer to begin our study. Here now is Dr. J. Vernon McGee with our study of 1 Corinthians 7 on Through the Bible. Now we want to return back to 1 Corinthians, the 7th chapter in our study. And if you have your Bible there, we invite you to follow along. And we trust that you have our notes and outlines also to go along with this. Because now we were talking last time about concerning scandals in the Corinthian church, and there were lawsuits among the members, as well as impurity. Now it's concerning marriage. And I said we'd be discussing the subject of sex, and we are, but I think in a more dignified manner than it's being handled today, because we're going to follow Paul here in it. And what we're talking about is actually this problem of marriage today. Now, Paul gave them the spiritual apparatus that by its application, the problems 
could be solved that relate to sex in marriage. Now, will you listen here as I read verse 1? Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Now they wrote to Paul about this problem. And Paul was a long time in getting to it. In fact, you'll notice he handled all these other problems here before he got to this particular problem. And you see that this man, Paul, he has no reluctance and dealing with it, because he deals with it here rather boldly and very frankly. And before dealing with the text, though, I think that probably we ought to consider two introductory matters. One's a question and the other's an explanation. First, the question is, was Paul ever married? Now, if he was not, then he was theorizing here in his explanation. He knew nothing from experience. And Paul never did that. Paul always spoke from experience. And it's not the method of the Spirit of God in choosing writers. The Lord doesn't choose a man that knows nothing about the subject on which the Spirit of God wants him to write. And so we have always assumed that he was unmarried. And the reason for it is because of verse 7. He says, For I would that all men were even as I myself. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, another after that. Now, we assume that Paul was not married, and I think we need to pay attention to the next verse here. And a great many will say, Well, well, you paid attention to it. We'd certainly get the impression Paul was not married because he says, I'm reading now, I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, it is good for them if they abide even as I. Somebody says, see, it says he's saying to the unmarried. Well, we assume he was unmarried, but he mentions two classes there, the unmarried and widows or widowers to be the one. And it's difficult to believe that Paul was unmarried because actually of who he was and because of his background. Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. And the rule for the Sanhedrin was that all the members were married. That was the first condition. He could only be a married man. And Paul mentions in that marvelous confession, or his testimony gives in the 26th of Acts, and it's a glorious thing. In verse 10 he says, which thing I also did in Jerusalem, many of the saints, did I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, I gave my voice against them. How could he give his voice against them? It was brought before the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin voted on it. And Paul says, I always voted against the Christian. Now, Paul was a member of the Sanhedrin. That in and of itself says he was married, because all members were married. Now, there was an insistence upon Jewish young men to marry. The Mishnah said at the age of 18. And we find that in the Yebamoth, that's a commentary on Genesis 5, it says, a Jew who has no wife is not a man. And that's something that we, by the way, should pay a little attention to here. 
And I believe, therefore, Paul was married. Now, I think Paul was a widower. I think he had never remarried, because over in the ninth chapter, verse 5, I read this, "...have we not power to lead about a sister, a wife, as well as other apostles, and as the brethren of the Lord and Cephas?" And I think Paul is saying, I could marry again if I wanted to. I'd be permitted to do that, but I'm not going to do that for the very simple reason that I feel like in my ministry that I would not want to ask a woman to follow me around in the type of ministry that he had. Now, Paul, I believe, had loved some good woman in the past who had reciprocated his love. He spoke so tenderly of the marriage relationship in places. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, we'll have to return to that, but notice that, and I want to read to you now a statement of Canon Farah in the life and work of St. Paul. And here it is. The other question which arises is, was Saul married? Had he the support of some loving heart during the fiery struggles of his youth, amid the to-and-fro contentions of spirit which resulted from an imperfect and unsatisfying creed? Was there in the troubled sea of his life one little island home where he could find refuge from incessant thoughts? Little as we know of his domestic relation, little as he cared to mingle mere private interests with the great spiritual truths which occupy his soul, it seems to me that we must answer this question in the affirmative. And may I say that's been the position of many expositors of the Scripture, that this man, Paul, had been married, his wife had probably died. And Paul never made reference to her, but he spoke so lovingly of this relationship that we must believe that he was. Now, the next thing that is introductory, not a question, but a statement. And that is, we need to understand the Corinth of that day. And if we don't, we're going to fall into the trap of saying Paul is commending the single state above the married state. You must have the local color of Corinth and know what he's talking about. Now, I'm going to read verses 1 again and then read verse 2. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Nevertheless, because of fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Now we need to understand, Cardi. Now that was a city that was dominated by the Acrocorinthus. I have been there to the ruins of ancient Corinth, and towering above those ruins is this mountain that is there. That was the Acropolis. It was called Acrocorinthus. It was unusually high. On top of it was the temple of Aphrodite, and it towered over the city like a dark cloud. Today, there's the ruins of a crusader fort there, and that crusader fort, of course, in ruins today, but... The stones that were in the temple of Aphrodite were used to build the fortress. Now, this temple was like most heathen temples. Sex was a religion. There were 
1,000 Vestal virgins there, so-called. And in that temple, you could get food, drink, and sex, because those Vestal virgins were nothing in the world but 1,000 prostitutes, and sex was carried on in the name of religion. That was the philosophy of Plato, by the way. Tell the truth, a great many people don't seem to realize. I never shall forget, a man said to me, he says, you know, Socrates wrote in very lofty language. Did he? Well, sometime he did. But he also told prostitutes how they ought to conduct themselves. May I say to you that the whole thought was get rid of the desires of the body. How? By satisfying them. That's hedonism. And you have the two basic philosophers of the Greeks, Stoicism, by not satisfying the other, Epicureanism, and that's going all the way. Now, the wife in a Roman world was a chattel. She was a workhorse. And a man generally had several wives. One was in charge of the kitchen. The other was in charge of the living area. And another was in charge of the clothes. And sex was secondary. Because the man went up to the temple. That's where the good-looking girls were. And he went up there, and they had these seasons of, they celebrated of fertility. And believe me, friends, that's where it was carried on. And you'll find today among the Bedouins in the land of Israel, they have several wives. And it's a practical thing with them. One takes care of the sheep and the another one goes along with the man as he wanders around. The other stays back where they have a home base. They generally have a few fruit trees around and probably a tent there, that sort of home base. Well, he needs three wives at the least, you see. And so in that day, that's the way it was carried off. Paul now is lifting marriage to the heights. Paul says here that you're not to do that. You must have someone that you love. And this is the man who lifted woman from the place of slavery in the pagan world of the Roman Empire. And he made her a companion of man, restore her to her rightful position. Now, he was in Ephesus when he wrote to the Corinthians, and there was that awful temple there of Diana. And it was to the Ephesians that Paul wrote and said, Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself to it. Now, somebody says, yes, but he told wives to obey their husbands. And I'd like to know where he said that. Now, I know somebody's going to say, yes, it's not Ephesians 5.25. You should read it. It's Ephesians 5.22. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husband. Have you ever looked up that word submit? Have you ever realized what it really means? It means wives respond to your own husband. She's to react to the man. Man is the aggressor. He initiates every expression of love. And the woman is the receiver. She's to respond to the man. It's not just a matter of sex. Mentally, spiritually, psychologically, and physically, man is the aggressor. Woman is the receiver. God created them that way at the beginning. He created her as a helpmate. What is a helpmate? Answering to man. She's the other part of man. When the husband says, I love you, then she says, I love you. When a man today admits that he has a cold wife, he's really saying something. He means he's a lousy husband, by the way, and that he is to blame for the condition. Now, Paul here is lifting the slave state, a woman to that as a partner of man. Will you listen to him? 
let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence. Likewise also the wife unto the husband. She's respond to him. He's to say to her that he loves her. Verse 4, the wife hath not power of her own body, but the husband. And likewise also the husband hath not power of his own body, but the wife. He's not to run up to that temple of Aphrodite. That's sin in Paul's book and in the Word of God. Now he's saying he's to stay home. And the love and the sex is to take place at home. And that is exactly what he's saying here. He goes on in that same spirit here, by the way. The only motive for marriage is love. Not sex, but love. And I'm convinced that Paul had known the love of a good and great woman. Another reason? Every man in Scripture who ever did anything for God knew the love of a woman, Adam and Eve, Jacob and Rachel, Boaz and Ruth, David and Abigail. And she's the one that said to David, you are bound in the bundle of life with God. And then Paul, some unnamed woman, said to John Wesley, you know, that when he came to this country that actually he was not saved then. He told us that. He said, I came to this country to convert Indians, but who's going to convert me? Now, the story goes that one of the governors where he was had a very beautiful wife. He was an old man, and she was a young, beautiful woman brought out to the frontier to this country. There's that handsome young missionary, John Wesley, and Wesley must have fallen in love with her, and she told him. She said, no, I can't leave him and go with you. And you must go on and follow God. She bade him goodbye and sent him back to England. I think that woman he married must have found out about that because she had a great deal to say about that sort of thing. There are other phases of this problem, by the way, that Paul deals with in this chapter, and we must reserve it for another time. Mixed marriages divorce, and all of that sort of thing. But we need to understand that Paul is dealing with this subject here. So let me keep reading, and I'll drop down now to verse 6. He says, But I speak this by permission and not of commandment. What's he talking about? He says, Defraud ye not one the other, except it be with consent for a time, that ye may give yourselves to fasting and prayer and come together again. Satan tempt you not for your incontinence. Now, he's not saying that he's not writing this by inspiration. He's just saying this is not the rule by any means. This is not a commandment. He says, for I would that all men were even as I myself. Now, at this time, he did not have a wife. He didn't take one around with him, but he had had a wife. But every man hath his proper gift of God, one after this manner, none after that. Now, some men have actually, in the ministry and in the Lord's work, have not married, some not for years. They are that way. The Lord Jesus, you remember, said, Some men are born eunuchs, some make themselves eunuchs, and others are made eunuchs by men. And there are many men that make that kind of a sacrifice. Now, I attempted to imitate a man when I began in the ministry that was a bachelor. And I thought, boy, that's the happiest state. And I thought a bachelor's a fellow didn't make the same mistake twice. But I found out that wasn't for me. I wonder why. And I think that this is not a rule. <laughs> it's not a command. He says, I say, therefore, to the unmarried and widows, 
It's good for them if they abide even as I to the unmarried and widow. He says, if they can, but there's no rule. But if they cannot contain, let them marry. It's better to marry than to burn, that is, burn with passion. Now, verse 10, and unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord. Now he says, I'm putting it on the line. This is commandment. Let not the wife depart from her husband. But, and if she depart, let her remain unmarried. Now, if you are going to leave your husband, and regardless of the reason, you're to remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, let not the husband put away his wife. But the rest speak I, not the Lord. If any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. And the woman which hath a husband that believeth not, and if he be pleased to dwell with her, let her not leave him. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. Now, if you're married to an unsaved man or an unsaved woman, you have children, you should try to make it through. But if you cannot... He says here, but if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. And my thought in this particular connection is that Paul may be saying here that if a woman has been deserted by a godless husband, is she to marry or can she marry? This is a mooted question. I know that. But I would say that Paul is granting that permission here. But I think that each case should be examined on its own merits. And I think that a lot of times the wife gets rid of a husband, a husband gets rid of a wife, or forces them to and does it purposely in order that they might feel like they've got scriptural grounds, at least, for divorce. Now he says, For what knowest thou, O wife, whether thou shalt save thy husband? And that ought to be the goal of the wife. I know several women married to unsaved men. I know some saved men married to unsaved women, and they've tried to win them. That should be uppermost. But verse 17, but as God hath distributed to every man, as the Lord hath called every one, so let him walk. So ordained I in all the churches. And he says that just as you are, that's the way you should stay if you can. And that ought to answer the question today. Unfortunately, there's some ministers and evangelists that have advised certain people that have got a divorce and remarried that they should go back to their first husband and go back to the first wife. And may I say, I can't think of anything that's been more tragic than that in several cases. I know a case of where one woman went into a mental institution because an evangelist had told her that that's what she should do, go back to a drunken husband and she had established a lovely Christian home, by the way, and had been saved and all of that. How foolish can you be? I think we need to probably read Paul and know what Paul is saying. By the way, that's important. Now he says, As any man called being circumcised, let him not become uncircumcised. As any man called in uncircumcision, let him not be circumcised. Circumcision is nothing. Uncircumcision is nothing but the keeping of the commandments of God. Be obedient to Christ. That is the thing that's important. Now, circumcision was a commandment in the Old Testament. Now you're to be obedient unto Christ. Let every man abide in the same calling wherein he was called. Now, God saved you today. Stay right there, brother. I don't care what your past was. You're not to go back to some godless wife or godless husband. 
God never asks that at all. You can see, let every man abide in the same calling. Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. The whole point here is, whatever state you find yourself in, stay right there. Well, we're going to have to leave off there today, but I'll follow through in this chapter in this, I know, an interesting subject today, and very pertinent and practical, as you can see. What a great message. To listen again and share it with a friend, visit ttb.org. If you want to purchase Dr. McGee's entire five-year study, check out our Bible Bus flash drive. You can learn more about the many great Bible study resources that we offer, a few for purchase, and many for free. Streaming or downloading yourself, you can visit ttb.org or just call us at 1-800-65-BIBLE. Now, as we take a quick break for the weekend, I hope that you'll join me for Dr. McGee's Sunday sermon from 1 Corinthians 11 titled, Christian, You Can Be the Judge. To listen or see if your station carries a Sunday sermon, visit us at ttb.org. I'm Steve Schwetz, looking forward to your company again next time as we continue this remarkable journey through the Bible. Through the Bible is a five-year study of God's entire Word, and together we discover God's purposes in history and our lives, found only when we believe in Jesus Christ. Do you know Him yet?